Hey guys, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and you're listening to another bonus episode. If you keep up to date, you know that just a few days ago, we released our regular Tuesday episode, and in it, Pastor Jeff Guyp just talked about how important the inductive Bible study method was to him in all of his decades of teaching and preaching and how it helps him to just really mine the depths of the biblical text itself. So we've referenced it in the last episode. It's come up in quite a few interviews. So I thought this would be a great time to put out this bonus episode explaining what inductive Bible study is and how to implement its methodology. So there's no one better to do it than Josh Taransky. He is energetic, he is enthusiastic, he is incredibly knowledgeable, he is planting a church in inner city Baltimore, and he is strangely obsessed with inductive Bible study, or IBS as we call it. This was recorded in New Jersey at our training weekend back at the end of 2019. So we had a session, we ended, we went to our dinner break, we all ate pizza, and then we came back and the stage was turned into a crime scene, complete with police line tape sectioning off an area. There was these yellow evidence markers all over the stage. And then Josh puts on some gloves and then he takes us on this journey, learning how we should treat our passage like a crime scene and investigate it fully and see what secrets it yields to us as we carefully and methodically comb through it. So as you listen in, you're gonna get a glimpse of like the truly interactive nature of what the Expositors Collective actually is. Like as you listen to this, you're gonna notice this is not just a conference message. Everyone in the room is engaged. Everyone is um, looking at Colossians together. There's pauses as people are um, digging into the text and circling things and drawing arrows. So it's entirely engaging, following along, learning together. It's one of the values that we have here at the Expositors Collective is we don't wanna just put on conferences. We wanna host learning experiences. And, and so later this month, February 21st and 22nd, we're having a learning experience, a seminar, a training weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada, and you are invited. Um, check out our website, expositorscollective.com. There's more details, there's registration on there. And I want to learn alongside with you in Las Vegas, Nevada. So enjoy this bonus episode, Josh Taransky, on why we should treat our text like a crime scene. Uh, I get to be a part of this, and it's been an awesome vision from the beginning, Pete, and Mike and you know this all started out of a loser workshop at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa this is like revenge right it's like nobody came to the workshop so we're gonna turn it into a conference I appreciate that that's called tenacity um yeah okay okay, okay so three people showed up that's good that was very nice of you very nice of you Bill was that moral support you really wanted to learn something. Good. And here you are. So um, inductive Bible study. Could you turn to that page in your um, workbook so that you're able to follow along? Um, and 
we have, you know what, let's do this because um, we want to be time sensitive. So I'm actually going to start a timer here. We've got 20 minutes to kind of go through some material. And I'm thrilled that these guys let me actually teach on inductive Bible study. This, is, this has been my favorite topic since I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. When I showed up at Calvary Chapel Bible College, there was this gal that was there that I kind of knew from Calvary Chapel Philadelphia, which I had come out of, and she sat me down and she said to me, Josh, this Bible college is going down the toilet, but you need to know the most important thing. It's inductive Bible study. I said, wow, okay, I got to know this. You know, so she sat down with, she had this feeling like that, that they weren't teaching it anymore, but they were. I don't know where this came from, but she sat down and she taught me how to do inductive Bible study, uh, maybe because it wasn't required the first semester or something, but oh man, I loved it. I, the first text I ever went through with this method was in Matthew, I think it's six or seven, where, where Jesus talks about your eye being single and the darkness. You should, you should do inductive Bible study on this because Jesus uses two different words about darkness there. It's a trip. And that was the first time I ever did inductive Bible study. So anyway, um, that was the origin story, and I've been hooked ever since that time. So I'm going to take some of the material that uh, Dan Frinfrock um, kind of has passed down through generations of different Calvary Chapel guys. It's going to be adapted. Um, maybe some of you know Rod Thompson. He also is a great um, teacher of inductive Bible study. And Andy Dean at the Bible College in Marietta, he's actually written a book on Bible study methods. Um, so there's a lot of different methods. But what are we talking about? So um, first of all, Inductive Bible study is a method for studying the Bible. And I want to illustrate it like this. In 2005, I went on a missions trip for 10 days to Kenya. And on one night, I went out and had some Indian food and got really, really sick. And I found myself laid out for 48 hours. And the only thing I could do at this missions house was just watch episode after episode of CSI. Now, have any of you ever seen CSI? Come on, you don't have to be afraid. Okay, good. Okay, so we're on the same page. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, CSI, they're the people that kind of, they come and they investigate a scene, a, a crime scene. So the way that this show is laid out is they bring the viewer along for the ride. Rather than treating the viewer as a dummy, the um, directors, the producers of CSI really are training the viewers and bringing them into the science of these, of this whole, like, how do we figure out the crime, right? So, you know, when you're like me and you're laid out and you're in episode 13 or 14, um, which I watched all back to back to back to back, you start to second guess the CSI investigators in their approach. So every scene, every um, episode opens up with somebody got killed, and then the CSI investigators show up on the scene, and they begin to analyze the scene. And the way that the show is laid out is, again, you get familiar with their technique, even to the point where you see they missed one step in the investigative approach, and you're like, oh. 
They missed that, that one DNA swab or they forgot to do, you know, the blood spatter test over here. You know, that was really a big deal. The point is this. If you are an investigator or if you've watched that show, you get what, they're, what you're trained to do as a CSI investigator is to get onto the crime scene and always ask the same questions to follow a method to analyze the crime that's taken place. So I've laid this out for you here, and um, I brought some of my investigators. How are we going to put gloves on with? Well, you can kind of imagine. So imagine that you've got a crime scene here, right? And I'm from Baltimore. We have plenty of these. And um, so when they step onto the crime scene, um, and I'm sorry, I feel like I failed you because I actually talked to the guy who's the director of the forensic department for city of Baltimore. And he's like, here's the number. You can call this lady and find out more about how we do this. I just didn't have time to do it. So I, I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but... I do, I do see the pictures in the news and what they do. One of the things they do is when they go onto a crime scene is they have their little, like, little uh, red or yellow things and they put them next to all of the bullet casings, right? That's one of the steps that they do is they go through and they mark out, okay, here's where everything is. But here's what I want you to imagine. If I'm the investigator, right? If I'm the investigator, I've gone to school and as soon as I do this, Boom, all my training comes into play, right? I'm ready to go. I know what I'm looking for. And I should be looking for where's the bodily fluids? Where's the blood spatter? Where's the bullets? And I was actually going to bring like a mannequin and have him dead here. I just didn't have time for that either. Okay, so when we do inductive Bible study, we want to ourselves be taking like um, almost these mechanical steps when we come to the text. In a minute, I'm going to give you a text, and we're going to actually go through it. But imagine when you hit the, that the Bible is like in the middle of the crime scene here, and we want to take specific steps based off of principles to analyze the text. Are you tracking with me here? We're putting the kind of the, the, the analogy together with the idea. So Inductive Bible study is a method that's based off of principles. If you take a hermeneutics class, and it's like the um, uh, like Bernard Ram's um, Protestant biblical hermeneutics kind of approach, there's two branches of a tree, right? There's um, context is one branch of the tree, and there's a bunch of principles related to how context gives meaning or is a part of our interpretive process. And then there's grammar, right, which is and includes the words that are being used and how those words cooperate together. So that takes place in your hermeneutics class. But then some smart guys came along. Um, Robert Traina was one of the er, kind of the more recent guys, and they they said, "Hey, let's let's give our students some actual practical steps that they can take that makes use of these principles that are over here." And that's what inductive Bible study is. So I'm going to go through a few of these, um, a few of these steps that are, fall under this heading of observation. Do you see that in your um, notes there? Really, inductive Bible study is made up of observation, interpretation, and application. You can add some other things. You could add correlation in there. Um, you could add illustration in there. 
But for the sake of, for the sake of uh, this evening, we're going to just stick with OIA, observation, interpretation, and application. Have you ever been in a small group setting where you've kind of read a text and then people go around and they share and they say, well, this, here's what this means to me. And then somebody else is like, but this is what this text means to me. Um, what they're doing in that setting is we're jumping in the process from reading the text all the way down over here to application, right? And what we want to do and what we want to train the people that are under us to do is to take this first step of interpret of observation and then interpretation, right? Observing the text, seeing what's really there, and then interpreting it. Interpreting is a de- de- uh, determining the meaning, and then we make some application of the text. So most of our time to, um, is going to be spent right now on observation. Um, because I want to give you the method. I want to, I want to give you some, a one method of like 300 on how to do your observation in the text. But before we do that, let's just talk very quickly about interpretation. Interpretation, again, is determining the meaning, determining the meaning of the text that you have. Um, so let's, so we go through observation, interpretation. Final step is going to be application which hopefully we'll get to if we, it depends on how much time we have. Um, but I, I think I want to spend most of our time here on some uh, observation issues. So kind of the two, uh, the two branches of Protestant biblical interpretation, words, or the gram- grammatical historical approach, right? So words, syntax, culture, history, those are the things that we're taking into account. This is, this is where we'll be at. Okay, so let's, um, let's do this. Um, let's pass out the text that we're actually going to go through. So if you could, Bill, if you could help me and Pete. Here's the, um, we're going to go through Colossians, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Now imagine that this text is your crime scene, okay? So what we want to do is we want to see What's in what's in the text? What's here? Now, obviously, it's English. We can read it. But what we want to do is we want to give ourselves a method where we can make it really practical on observing the text. Okay, we want to make it really, really kind of just um, mechanical. So what we're going to do is um, go through these steps in a minute, okay? You got, everybody get, get the text. You're going to need a pen. You're going to need something to write on. Now, I want to just tell you, you can create your own inductive Bible study method. One of the underlying things that's going on in this method, or if you use Robert Traina's method, or you use um, the structural laws method, one of the things that's going on is that you're going to read the text you're going to read the text multiple times. You guys are already starting. Don't start yet. I didn't say go. Stop. 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 Don't go yet. Okay. You're not looking to circle the references to God just to find the references to God. That, that is what you're doing, right? But you want to get this text into your heart and mind, right? Those of you guys that have been preaching for any length of time, uh, I have mine. 
How many people are mi how many do are missing? Okay, we've got um, you got one. Okay, here's here's the point. We want to we want to be familiar with this text, right? When I was in high school. Um, we were uh, doing a VBS with kids, and there was a guy there who had never taught the Bible before, and he was so intimidated, and he's like, how do I prepare to teach these high schoolers this message? And, and he was like, the, the one thing that I shared with him, which I would still stick by to this day, is get to know the text, right? Know the text. Let it saturate your soul. Memorize it if possible. So this type of method... What it does is it has you going through and seeing what's there, right? It's not just enough to go, oh, there's bullet casings in the crime scene, right? It's not good enough to just go, oh, there's blood there, but we want to go beyond that. We want to know, like, what are we seeing? Okay, so now let's go ahead and take this first step. Go ahead and circle all the references to God in the text. No cheating. Don't look at your neighbor. Just do your own sheet. No grade on this, but this is going to be the first read-through. Okay. How many uh, circles do you have on your page there? Ten. Good. I must have missed one. I rushed. It's possible. Good. Did you circle him or who? Whom? Oh, that's one. That's what I'm missing. Okay, good. Okay, so you see God in the text, right? Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the first step. Second step is that we're going to draw a box around the other characters, the other characters in the text. Okay, who are some of the people that you see other than God that are in this text? We, okay. Us. Okay, who else? All right. Anybody else? You can if you want. This is, it's an exercise. Look, it's an exercise to try to help you. It's an exercise to help you. So it's not like there's a rule, like it's right or wrong. It's like, wait till we get to verbs. Any of you that didn't pass, yeah, we got saints. Any of you that didn't pass ninth grade English are going to really hate me on number three. Okay, verbs. Ready? Let's got to put an underline under the action words. Okay. This is, some of these are difficult. Um, so all of you English majors out there, don't, don't threat shred me. And if you listen to this on the podcast, they, they might not even make this a podcast. This is so brutal. <laughs> Okay, let's go through. Let's go through verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it. You got that underlined? We do not cease to pray for you, right? To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may... Walk worthy of the Lord, fully him, being, right, being fruitful in every good work and 
increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for maybe one, all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have, right? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so that's our third reading through the text, right? Where we've gone through. The thing I love about the action words, right, is that that begins to really give us some connective tissue and gives us the rhythm of the text. It's one of my, that and identifying, I guess I like every step. I don't know. I, I mean, it, but, but, but the action words gives us kind of, it, it, it makes it exciting. It shows us the activity of God. It shows us the activity of the other people that are in, in the text. Let's go to the next, um, the next step here. Words that need to be defined. Are there any words here that you would like to go back to your dictionary and kind of look up in this text? Go ahead, shout them out. Cease, okay. Convey. Okay. Fully pleasing, long-suffering, okay. Nope. We're doing good on time. (laughs) In the West, yeah. In the West, time is very important. Um, Okay, so we would go through. Now, if you have um, Blue Letter, well, everybody has Blue Letter Bible if they have like a smartphone, right? But like Logos Bible software, you're going to want to go look those words up. And you're going to want to see where else are those words being used and what is the definition of those words in both an English dictionary as well as a lexicon to see, you know, how, how, does, this, how does this play out. The next step on here is this, number five, ask questions of the text without giving an answer. Um, I think it's at Dallas Theological Seminary. There's a professor there that teaches hermeneutics where you come in the first week and you got one verse and it's like the assignment is go and list out 50 questions from that one verse, right? And the students are just dying, right? You got to go and you get 50 questions just on one verse, right? And you come back into the classroom and the, and, the, and, and the professor says, okay, go find another 50 from the same verse. The point is, the point is, is you can, you can ask a lot of questions if you sit there and begin to kind of turn it over in your head. And so that, that would be kind of like the fifth step. Now, let's just zoom out for a second, right? These steps are a method. It's not the only method. It's a method, right? This is kind of like OECA. When I was a kid, my mom did like precept Bible study with Kay Arthur. She's got a whole nother method where you've got like colored pencils and you draw, you know, things. I don't know how it really works. I never really got into it. 
I'm more of like crime scenes, you know? <laughs> but, but the point is this, right? There are many methods to, again, to examine, um, to begin to pull in what words are there and what's going on. Now, what's deficient from these first um, four steps is the principle of context. And so you actually have a note about that in your bulletin here, and it tells you step one is to critically observe the text in its context. So you would probably want to add in one of the kind of steps that you take when you get onto the crime scene is you go, what, where are we at? You know, are we in Beverly Hills or are we, you know, in the hood in Baltimore City? The context is important, right? Um, so the context is, are we in the Old Testament or are we in the New Testament, right? Are we, what book of the Bible are we in? Um, what, what else is going on um, in the world at this time? What's the historical context? What's the geographic context? Because I think it's, what is it, three or there are four gaps as we study the Bible. There's the time gap, right? There's a 2,000-year time gap between us and the text, sometimes up to three, 4,000-year time gap. Right? There's a language gap that exists, right? There's a cultural gap. And there's a geographic gap, right? And so we need to be asking these questions. We can't just pick up Colossians 1, 9 through 14 and think that this was written, you know, down the street at Lowe's or Chick-fil-A. This was written in a different setting. And so we've got to be coming to into the text with this idea that we are going to put ourselves into the shoes of the original, original audience that received the text. So any method, any inductive Bible study method that you follow is going to have deficiencies. This one is deficient on context. Um, so put some kind of question in there where you're asking who, well, we did that, who, but what or where is an important question. When is an important textual question. So for this, what would be the, what, what would be some of the context for Colossians 1, 9 through 14. What would be some of the questions and answers to the issue of context? What? Who's we? Yeah, that's um, who is in the text. But let's go outside the text for just a second and talk about context. Where's Colossians? Are we in the Old or the New Testament, right? What else? Where does, where does this book fall into the timeline of the New Testament, right? Did Jesus say these things? No. Paul wrote these things, right? Paul wrote this in a letter, right? So we want to know where it falls. Do we have any other information about Colossae? Yeah, we do. In, in, um, we generally kind of know geographically where it is. We know when Paul, you know, was relatively in proximity to Colossae. So um, we want to gather all that information up so that this crime scene is not just on an island, but it has a surrounding neighborhood around it that gives meaning to what's going on inside of it, right? So context. Context is really important. Another thing that, that's mentioned here in your notes is consider the genre of the text. 
Is it poetry, history, apocalyptic imagery? Is it a letter? Which one of those is it? Is Colossians. Colossians is a letter, yeah. So we'd want to know who's the recipients, you know, who's getting this letter. Is Colossae a guy? No, it's a whole church. So we want to take that in. All of these pieces, and it, this may sound like you may, can tell, like I have attention deficit disorder and I'm like all over the place. So it's okay, right? It's okay to be all over the place with this stuff. You're just kind of gathering up all of the pieces because you just want to scrutinize it as best as possible. Then we get into, once we've done all of these observations, then we want to move into the interpretive process, right? So let's, let's look at what is Paul, what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean um, by 9 through 14? What's going on here generally? What do you see? He's praying. That's right. He's praying. And the rest of this is the substance of his prayer, right? He's listing out the things that he's asking for. He asks that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Let me see. I think there's some slides here that go through this a little bit. Okay, so here's like an example of a question. Let's say that you come along and you're like, well, what does it mean to be filled, because that's what it talks about there in verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, right? Just imagine for a second that that's your question. So here Thayer's word studies says fill means to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally, to complete, to fill up, to the top, replete, crammed, furnished, imbued. The implication we could say, is Paul is praying that God would fill up the Colossians. So we would want to go on and we'd want to ask, well, what is he praying that they'd be filled up with? But looking up that word gives it a little bit more definition. Filled, kind of like, you know, you have a Pyrex measuring cup that gets filled up, right? Next question, again, filled with what? Well, we go right into filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, you will hear some of the best expositors. Go and listen to um, Joe Foch teach a um, sermon. He's an excellent expositor. One of the things, if you deconstruct the way that Joe teaches, is he asks questions and he answers them. He asks a question, then he answers it. Is he's playing both sides of the Socratic method on stage. And so by doing an inductive Bible study method, one of the things that you can do as you teach, if you're in more of a teaching and not preaching setting, is you can walk people through some of the most helpful questions you yourself asked. I do that when I don't have a sermon to preach. I'm just kidding. So he says... Um, filled with what? The knowledge of his will. Paul's praying that God would fill up, cram, furnish the Colossians with the knowledge of his will. That's what goes into the Pyrex cup, the knowledge of his will. Um, the Colossians' life is, would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, manifest itself in spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. There's some of the Greek words that are being used 
we're building out basically by just answering the questions that we've listed out on the text. So let's say we go through this and we have identified the big idea of our text. We've done all of our kind of analyzing. We've ripped it up. Some of the questions we ask were like, you know, rabbit trails and weren't helpful. Some of them were helpful. And all of that should be moving us to really having a sense of like, here's what's going on in the text. Or if we're on a crime scene, like, here's the dead person and they died of like a gunshot wound. This is not a self-inflicted wound. Like we understand better what went on here. The goal is, right, to determine the meaning, to determine the meaning of the text. That's, that's fundamental. So in my own personal process, I do all of this before I ever get into commentaries. I want to know, I want to be, have chewed it up, have it saturate my soul, and I want to get to a place where it, we've determined meaning. Um, you have, it says here, step two is to carefully move into interpretation, having determined the, what the text says. We now seek to understand what it means. The meaning of the text is not subjective. The goal of interpretation is to discover God's intended meaning to a particular text. The reason we call it inductive Bible study is because it's like, this is kind of a gross analogy, but it's like the text gives birth to a baby, right? We use the word induce for pregnancy. We're like, okay, it's time to have the baby now. Okay, it's time to have the baby now, right? You've got the text in front of you and we're going to, it's the text induces the meaning. It gives meaning. If it's deductive, right, we would take and put meaning into the text. That's why we call it inductive Bible study. Um, to do this, it's important to consider authorial intent. That means like the guy who wrote it, for us, Paul, what did he mean? What did he mean? Not what, did, what does our pastor mean? What do we think he mean? It's like, what did Paul mean? That's authorial intent. What the text would have meant to the original readers, as well as what the text means in light of other portions of scripture. We remember that the Bible is a cohesive whole which is inspired by God. As uh, So while there may be paradoxes, there will not be contradictions. Thus, we askew interpretations which contradict other portions of Scripture, really important, context, in, uh, context intent, and logic are critical components of proper interpretation. So if you go through your process and you determine the meaning, and the meaning is something that's like heretical, then you've misinterpreted the text, right? The Bible cooperates together. It's not going, you're not going to come up with some, you know, crazy meaning that is incongruent with the rest of uh, Scripture. That's interpretation. Let's close off with application. Right? Application is then taking it, it says taking the previous two steps uh, capably applying the text to real-life situations. There are usually multiple applications. I would say there are always multiple applications which can be made from the biblical text. 
uh, hopefully you have access to, um, what's the guy? Howard Hendricks has a great book on how to study the Bible. He has a whole page on like 20 questions that you can ask to develop application. You know, is there something, to, is there an example to be followed? Is there a prayer to be prayed? Is there a sin to be repented of? And he goes through all of these different great questions that you can ask as you're going through the text. Um, the Puritans used to have like a, they had like 200 questions that they would ask, just thinking of their congregation. Having a method similar to this, having a method for your application is important. You want to be able to um, uh, probably have questions written out for yourself um, that help you think through how you're going to take and connect the meaning of this text with the people that you are speaking to. So I think I'm think I'm out of time. I think we're good with time, right? The um, there's some other resources here. Um, Inductive Bible Study app, the guide to inductive Bible study. Um, I would include on there Robert Traina's book. I don't get to Navigators. That's a good tool. But really, I would include Andy Dean's book on there if you don't have that one yet. And if you ever get a hold of Rod Thompson. So I did inductive Bible study in one way for like 10 years. Then I met Rod Thompson and he showed me a whole different method that was really, really helpful as well. We don't have time for that. I don't want to confuse you. But do you understand principally the idea that you're going to have a series of steps that you're going to take in any text, any text to help you grab a hold of what's there? You can come up with your own questions. These are great questions, though, that are based off of principles. But you can come up with your own method, or you can go and like Google it, and you'll find a bunch of other questions that are out there. Design your own, right? Design your own method that is based off those principles, and it should be fruitful in your own study. You want, you really want to know the text um, before you kind of go into the in um, interpretation and application. Okay, what am I what am I missing, Pete? Okay. Okay, clap for me. He says clap for me now. Hey, my name is Derek Neider. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas. You know, we are so privileged to be able to host Expositors Collective on February 21st and 22nd of 2020. You know, if you want to learn how to teach the Word of God, you don't want to miss this opportunity to sit under some great teaching and learn in an interactive environment. If you're 18 to 34, let me tell you something, you don't want to miss it. I wish that this existed when I was learning to teach the Word of God. Make sure you sign up today and join us for this life-changing opportunity.